Obamacare. The very sound of it makes many of us cringe because we know our choices have been limited and the premiums just keep going up every year. We send our money to big insurance companies who cover elective abortions and profit from us while we struggle to make the monthly payments. Aren't you ready to break free from the shackles of high-cost health care? Please meet my friends at the Alliance for Shared Health. ASH for short. ASH is a health share ministry with over 40,000 households participating. They integrate best-in-class healthcare access solutions with the health share world to solve the health care crisis. As a member, you share in the financial burden related to catastrophic health care expenses while also having your own needs met. It's so easy. You can access the virtual care provider at, at zero cost, pick up a prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, and order expensive lab or imaging tests at discounts of 60 to 80%, conveniently accessed on your phone via the Share mobile app. Not only is ASH helping U.S. residents break free from government-controlled health care, ASH is an international health share ministry. $1 per household per month connects members to its East African health share predecessor, where thousands and thousands of lives are being saved through the ASH-funded pediatric hospital in the remote villages. With open enrollment here, now is your chance to save 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums while making a difference in the lives of so many in need. Reach out to Ash today. Visit ashcommunity.org. That's ashcommunity.org. Alliance for Shared Health. Changing healthcare, changing lives. You can find out more and sign up at stacyontheright.com or familyvisionmedia.org. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Well, welcome to the Stacey on the Right Show podcast, hosted by Family Vision Media, familyvisionmedia.org. And, of course, don't forget to check out our nightly program, Monday through Friday, from 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time on SiriusXM's Patriot Channel 125. I'm your hostess with the mostest, and it is my pleasure to welcome our guest for today. We have Nicholas Grossman, who is a professor of international relations at the University of Illinois. He is also the senior editor of ARC Digital. And um, he's been a frequent guest in the program, and it's been a little while since we've chatted with him, but never a more perfect time to have him join us today to talk about the impeachment uh, that starts today, actually. It's an interesting dynamic that we have going on. Uh, Professor Grossman, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. So can we just first talk off the, you know, the, the big premise for me? is I've read the article of impeachment and then I've read the response from the former president of the United States where he outlines, first of all, that there's a little bit of uh, chicanery going on here because he is being imp- uh, submitted to uh, a trial for the impeachment that they already executed against him before he left office, but he's no longer in office and p- impeachment trials are primarily used to remove uh, the president from office Um so he's not there anymore. So how is this working? Right. So that's the the main purpose would be to remove somebody um, that is currently in office. What the Constitution also says is impeachment can be used to prevent somebody from running in the future um, or from holding public office in the future. So that seems to be the 
verdict that Democrats are seeking. I mean, I think it's very unlikely that they'll get it, um, but that would be something that can apply to any official, um, but especially to a official that was impeached while still in office. So the founders wouldn't have put something saying you can bar somebody from having future office if they didn't think you could bar somebody from having future office. So, and and again, this is for all of us out there. You're a professor. You do you you know all of this stuff. But we really, as Americans, we've not been treated to this. We, this is the first president to ever be impeached twice. Uh, also, his second impeachment was unique because he wasn't allowed to bring any witnesses or a response to the impeachment. He was simply impeached on the spot. Very little time uh, between the oh, we're bringing an article of impeachment to the actual impeachment vote. Um, so he, I feel like he was deprived of due process. As a private citizen, I know I cannot be convicted. If if a prosecutor brings a charge against me, I cannot be convicted that same day without ha- being given an opportunity to respond. Yet that's what happened to President Trump. And then there's something else that has to happen. Uh, according to the Constitution, the individual who presides over an impeachment is the the chief justice of the Supreme Court of the United States. Yet Justice Roberts has declined to prosecute. So you have one of the senators who will be voting actually presiding over the trial. Is that constitutional? That, that's specifically the presiding. Yes, that, that's something that's happened once before, not for a presidential impeachment. I think it was a trial um, impeachment trial for a judge. And um, but long time ago, but where a the Supreme Court justice wasn't able to do it um, and a senator oversaw it. So that's more like a a procedural thing. Um, I think the part you said about due process is very interesting because the uh, impeachment and both uh, the impeachment itself in the House is basically an indictment, kind of the equivalent of it. Um, But also the Senate is not a court of law. So among other things that make it different, um, besides the fact that, you know, you don't have the same um, jury of your peers rule, here you have 100 senators who already know what happened. Um, and in general, you know, these aren't people who say avoid the news and are sequestered from any information about it. I think it's safe to say that all of the senators, or at least most of them, already have an opinion, already know how they're going to vote. And you don't get that in a jury trial. And you definitely don't have, like in the case here, because the impeachment is tied up in the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, you have a lot of people on the jury who were witnesses or potentially targets of one of the events that is in question in the trial. So it's a political event as opposed to a judicial event. What that means, though, is that there really aren't set rules. The rules are to be determined by the Senate. That's what the Constitution allows. The House impeaches, the Senate tries, but the Constitution doesn't tell them how to do it. So a lot of it is precedent. How was the case made against Nixon? How was the case made against Andrew Johnson after the Civil War or against Bill Clinton? And part of the problem with that as precedent, as you note, is that no president has ever been impeached a second time and no president has ever been tried after they are out of office. So there is no precedent for it. They're kind of making it up as they go along. So uh, speaking as someone who you you not only do the research and read the history and then analyze it um, and you check the Constitution and, you know, you figure out the, the different ways in which things kind of go along with what the founders intended and did not. Um, in this particular instance, and, and we're, we're actually watching a, a huge double standard play out in front of us because, um, first of all, the, the timeline, according to the FBI, which they put it out the day after the impeachment had been voted on in the House, the timeline shows that with the ellipse being 55 minutes away from the Capitol building by foot, that while the president was saying we have to fight back, the 
Capitol was being breached at that time. The barriers were being removed by Capitol Police to allow people to rush in and get closer to the building. And then doors were opened and people rushed in um, and went and they actually breached the Capitol. This was happening while the president was saying, we have to fight back. There's also a huge uh, mashup video. It's like a minute and 30 seconds long of prominent Democrats uh, from Schumer to Maxine Waters to people in the media all saying things like, we have to fight back. We have to fight back. So I had a, a heritage expert on my nighttime program who he explained specifically what incitement is and said that what the president said during the speech at the ellipse did not qualify as incitement. And furthermore, the individuals who heard him say it in person couldn't have been the ones who breached the Capitol because the timeline doesn't fit. They didn't have 55 minutes to get there to do what you know the Democrats are alleging, which is the incitement. We have to fight back. You have to take uh, action. So these things don't match up. So in the eyes of the American people, whether they know that that interesting bit of information I just shared or not, do you see this as something that history is going to look fondly upon? The new administration is in office. They're taking a lot of really major moves via uh, pen and phone, Obama style. Yet the focus, instead of being on getting out the the checks that were promised or um, handling the coronavirus, the focus is on removing someone's ability to run for office again in the future um, instead of on the new agenda of the actual president who is Biden. President Biden's actually the president right now. I agree on that last one that I personally would like to get this over with quickly and kind of move on, especially since I assume that most, if not all senators already know what they're doing, that, you know, we clearly have a lot of challenges as a country that we need to focus on. Um, I think the how history will view it in part depends on whether it gets viewed as a single isolated event or as part of a uh, larger culmination. So um, it's correct that, I mean, I think it's probably true that the case for criminal incitement, so say a violation of criminal law, the same way, you know, like if I uh, told a mob, like, you know, I, I held a big rally and then I told the mob, like, you know, go burn that down, you know, or something like that. And then they did, then I could be guilty of criminal incitement. And um, besides just the fact that it would be hard to convict a ex-president in the first place, um, even so, there's enough maybe not for a criminal case. But since impeachment is not a criminal trial, there's an argument for a political case. So more a violation of the oath of office or kind of presidential duties. So the alternative view of it, as opposed to, say, a single day, um, would be looking at it as everything since the uh, 2020 election or really everything since um, the president, um, former president, tried to um, made arguments in court and brought court cases and, um, you know, alleged that there were uh, irregularities or fraud um, in various cases. And so once the legal process played out, and once the Electoral College had voted for Biden, at that point, the legal opportunity for legal challenges was over. And so the case for incitement is not that there was one specific rally that said um, and stirred everybody up out of nowhere and then sent them to attack, but more that by continuing to insist that the results weren't real um, and by things like pressuring the Secretary of State of Georgia to try to um, revise the, the vote to go back and look for more votes um, or see if there were uh, different problems. Um, and by telling a lot of people to come to D.C. and telling them that, uh, in uh, his words, that it would be wild um, and that all of this combined 
leads to uh, the attack on the Capitol. So one way that um, I think about it is uh, if Trump had not done these things, if he had, like previous presidents, um, and at least all the ones of my lifetime, had said, uh, okay, this is, you know, the end, the American people have decided, uh, and I believe in the peaceful transfer of power. That's one of the things that makes America great, you know, compared to all these other countries in the world that have problems with um, you know, potentially violent transfers of power or coups or other things like that, um, and had stood up and said, you know, I believe in that, um, and everybody needs to now uh, respect the peaceful transfer of power, would we have gotten an attack on the Capitol specifically on the day when Congress was certifying the vote? I'd say probably not. I don't know how you get to that situation without uh, the former president playing that role. And so the question on incitement is whether it would be that day specifically or the entirety of his effort to overturn the election results. Okay, so I appreciate that explanation. But Nicholas, that is a really tortured way of getting to a place where one individual somehow ginned up the response that happened on the 6th, as opposed to um, there's a competing idea of how we got to a place where people needed to go into the Capitol where they felt they hadn't been heard. And that is that so many of the cases were dismissed without even an evidentiary hearing and that individuals had come forward in the individual trials. Like in Georgia, they had hearings, not trials, but hearings. Um, there were hearings in Arizona. A lot of people brought forward credible allegations of fraud. Now, whether that it was enough to overturn the election it, it couldn't be determined because the, they weren't heard. It wasn't put on C-SPAN. The people weren't listened to on uh, CNN or MSNBC. And individuals who had brought forward allegations were dismissed, doxxed. They had their lives threatened. And so there were a lot of factors at play that people were aware of outside of what the president said. So, I, and again, I believe in personal responsibility. Um, if I, and I have another question for you because there's, to me, a, a glaring uh there's something missing here from this conversation. Last year, just in the month after George Floyd was killed, there were over $2 billion in property damage across the country. Democrats never, ever denounced it. None, no one from the leadership of the party, from Schumer and Pelosi, all the way down. And then months after that, after the first month of rioting and destruction, then you had months after that where cities across the country were assaulted, businesses were destroyed, people's livelihoods were destroyed, and all of this was going on in concert with the pandemic, which meant people were stuck at home. They couldn't even come out to defend their businesses, or if they did, they were assaulted. 30 people were killed. Over 700 officers were um, maimed. Some of them had their skin cut all the way to the bone by shrapnel from Molotov cocktails that they were hit with. Many of them have neurological damage. Some of them have been blinded. None of those incidents were prosecuted with the same fear that we see going against President Trump for one day of violence at the Capitol, which is reprehensible. And no one agrees with what happened at the Capitol that day. But I think there's even more of an indictment because this prosecution by people who have never addressed the violence from last year seems to hinge around the fact that their building was attacked. So when Americans' buildings were attacked, their businesses, their, their, um, their homes, some neighborhoods were actually attacked, it was – no fences were put up. No concertina wire was employed. It was actually local mayors and local Democrats and even the vice president herself were sending funds, gathering funds to bail out the rioters so they could come out and do the same thing the next day. But when it was the Capitol and they felt true fear, now we have the, the walls, which Democrats actually hate walls. Now we have the concertina wire, the heavy troop uh, engagement, and these barriers are going to stay up until – 
March for some reason. Like, I'm not sure why they would need to stay up for that length of time. So uh, do you feel as if, because I, I understand what you just shared, but where is the same level of desire to bring people to justice and to bring justice to people who've been harmed on the side of the nine months worth of mayhem that we experienced last year? So I think of those as two different problems, you know, meaning that uh, anybody who was physically attacked, anybody whose property was damaged, you know, business, um, say, was, you know, burnt or looted or something like that, um, is entitled to justice, is entitled to compensation. And if they're not getting it, that is a problem. Um, it is a different problem from the capital attack. And, you know, I wouldn't, um, if one group of people aren't getting justice, I wouldn't want another pe- group of people to not get justice. I'd want everybody to get justice. And I can but tell the, you in, the, in my but world, they are being of, prosecuted. Of the, I, national so... security community that, oh, um, where a big part of the reason why they're viewing the capital attack differently um, is, and this is why groups like, say, the FBI uh, is getting involved, is because um, it is more, it, it's a larger scale uh, problem in terms of it gets on the radar of national security people. So in the way that um, things like, you know, say a, I mean, I'm going to do an exaggerated example here, but um, a murder in a town is really bad. And that is something that's a local or maybe state police deal with a, something like September 11th, that's a higher scale that then the national security community gets involved with. Um, and sure. I, and you're talking about the American scope of violence. I, I totally understand that, Nick, but I'm, I'm really concerned mm-hmm. with what I'm really concerned with here and what I'm trying to get to, because from your perspective as a professor, this is, these are conversations that you're having in your classroom with your students. And they, they are two different things in that one building was attacked and the building that was attacked houses the elites of this country, the people who they have their own private security. They also get to insider trade. They are people who are really they live a different lifestyle than people like me and my husband and people that I know who own businesses here in the St. Louis area and business owners I know across the country. People who work in that building, the Capitol, live a completely different lifestyle than people like me. When people like me have our cities burned to the ground um, the, the mayors are the ones who are in charge of what happens when the Capitol is breached and people go in and steal Nancy Pelosi's laptop and, you know, th- there's all this mayhem, then they get the FBI and all of those individuals involved. And so, yes, it's two different things. But in, in essence, you have the same people who excused last year's violence demanding prosecutions for violence against their building. So there is th- that group of people, the Democrats in Congress were deeply and intricately involved in what happened across the country last year because they didn't condemn it. And in in some cases, they actually incited violence by saying, uh, Kamala Harris said, the violence isn't going to stop. They're not going to stop coming out. And then she gathered money together to bail people out of jail so they could do the same things that they'd been arrested for again and again and again. So incitement, if we're talking about incitement, We saw one long period of incitement by the Democrats last year, the same ones who are now going to sit in judgment, the ones who have prosecuted uh, the impeachment against the president, the second one, and those in the Senate are now going to work to convict him. They don't have the votes, but that's not the point here. The point is that these same individuals said nothing about the violence last year, but they're very intent on making sure that they mobilize the agencies and arms of the government this year to do something about what happened at the Capitol. And that is a glaring Uh, hypocrisy for Americans, especially for business owners who lost their livelihoods. And 
in comparison to 9-11 or a murder in a town, I understand you're trying to go for scale here, but the difference is one day versus nine months. One day's worth of violence versus nine months worth of violence. So for one day's worth of violence, we get 25,000 troops mobilized, fencing that's usually only used in the Middle East, concertina wire, where we don't even put concertina wire at the border, the southern border. And for the violence from last year that lasted for nine months and terrorized people and 30 people died, 700 of our federal officers and law enforcement, local law enforcement, maimed, injured, that that violence has still really gone unanswered. We've probably arrested, I mean, just in days, we've arrested all of these people um, who had something to do with the, the capital violence and even private businesses like Bank of America turning over the uh, banking records to without a subpoena or anything to uh, the FBI to so th- to assist with prosecuting people who might have been there when they might have been there but they there's no proof that they were involved in the breach of the Capitol because so many people traveled there and didn't they they didn't do anything wrong they didn't commit any crimes and all of the people I know three people here locally in St Louis who've lost their jobs just because they went to the rally they didn't go into the Capitol they've they've been cleared of all wrongdoing. They didn't post any pictures of themselves within inside the Capitol, none of that, but they lost their job. So there's a this is a double standard, and I don't know that, that it's getting covered. I don't know that enough people are aware of the carnage that's going on across the country. Anyone who supported the president is now being looked at as someone who needs to be moved out of public life, lose their job, lose their ability to do what they did before with freedom. And how, how will history look upon that? I, I'm concerned with the people – out here in the hinterlands and flyover country, out here in, in so many states and communities who are viable, law-abiding citizens who only our only crime is voting for the president and some, they went to the Capitol and heard the president speak at the ellipse, yet the, the repercussions are reverberating through their lives with lost jobs and inability to pay their bills because Bank of America is against them, the Senate and the Congress are against them, media is against them. Everyone is looking for ways to punish Trump supporters. And this impeachment is just an extension of that. That's what it feels like to people like me. Anybody who went to a protest, expressed their opinion, you know, certainly voted. Uh, Everybody's entitled to do that. If somebody's facing consequences for that, that's wrong. That if somebody had went into the Capitol, the building itself, that would just merely going in. Uh, would be a crime, I mean, a low-level crime if they didn't hurt anybody or destroy anything, um, but things like unauthorized entry. Um, so that, mm-hmm. that is a crime. I'm also curious to see, I think, that um, a lot of those people won't be prosecuted, the meaning people who stole things, and uh, especially the ones that I'm most concerned about there um, are the militias who had organized in advance and who uh, got into uh, fights with the police and, you know, sent a bunch to the hospital and, you know, one died, um, that... Those end up being, you know, the ones that say would deserve more prosecution, that those are, you know, criminals and they participated in an attack against America. Yeah. But people who, yeah. who went to a rally, who said, you know, what they think, and uh, it doesn't even really matter what they think, whether I agree with it or not, that they have a right to express themselves, especially express a political opinion. They have a right to protest, you know, to demonstrate that's in the First Amendment. Um, so that would be wrong. Uh, I do draw a hard line, though, with uh, people who especially who um, organized and planned and uh, directly committed violence. Um, and I and many national security analysts believe 
um, that at least some members of the crowd, not most of it, but that some within it, were aiming to uh, either capture, you know, uh, kidnap, take hostages, or even kill lawmakers, um, including uh, former Vice President Pence. And those are ones that the national security state takes very seriously. So I think you're right that it is not fair uh, in that sense, but what we're seeing is the American government institutions that are designed specifically to deal with national security threats, treating this as one, as opposed to treating things that are really awful, but on a more, say, local or state level. Um, but I can easily see why somebody would be upset if that, you know, they had been, if they didn't do anything wrong, if they didn't commit a crime and they had to suffer consequences for that, that wouldn't be fair. And similarly, if somebody, say, had their business burned down and that was ignored and they didn't get uh, compensation for it, that they didn't get sympathy for it, that that would also be wrong. Um, I just don't see those as mutually exclusive. Uh, I think we can um, be sympathetic to victims of both to have uh, justice or um, you know, prosecution for criminals involved in either that I wouldn't see it as either or. Yeah, and I and I hope I haven't made it seem as if I I see it as either or the the issue that I'm having, and I, I'm a law enforcement supporter. I and I don't care if you're at the federal level or if you're at the local level. Um, my father was in law enforcement. I I'm a law and order person, but I see the prosecution and investigation moving forward at a very fast pace against people who breached the Capitol. We're not seeing that same kind of justice being done in uh, the places where it's just you know locally. The people were bailed out, and especially in these no-bail jurisdictions, they're just free to go about doing more mayhem, and that's exactly what they did. So the problem was exacerbated. And it, whether or not they're in the same wheelhouse, because when you were describing the comparison of, you know, you have the, the, the murder at, you know, in St. Louis, there's a murder, and then you have 9-11 where over 3,000 people were impacted, you know, 2,800 people killed and so many more who were, you know, devastated by it. Yes, those things are not in the same universe proportionally, but in this instance, the violence and mayhem of last year that was unaddressed is a driver for the sentiments behind every one of the groups that you mentioned, whether they were militia or um, whether they were just you know people who were maybe once were in the Tea Party and they, they went there. The people who were listening to the president at the Ellipse were there because they believed there was election fraud and that it was never addressed and the, their concerns were never heard. The people who were breaching the Capitol may have had other things that you've described. I don't dispute any of what you've described about you know someone being there wanting to kidnap the vice president or wanting to go in and maybe you know harm some of the legislators. I don't I don't doubt that at all. But what is driving all of it is unaddressed problems from 2020 whether it's the rioting, the looting, the allegations of voter fraud, all of these things were summarily dismissed. And we still have that same thing going on. Now it's no longer okay to say, I don't believe the election was handled properly. I believe there was fraud. That's a reason for people to be fired, to be dismissed, to be shunned, to be called a a QAnon conspiracy theorist. It is not QAnon conspiracy theory to allege that there were uh, irregularities in the election, yet it is something that people are now being fired for and people are being shunned and put out. So uh, what I always want to do is I want to side on, I want to be on the side of everyone getting a chance to have due process, everyone getting a chance to, you know, share whatever they feel has gone on. Um, There are actually three cases that are going to go before the Supreme Court in the conference um, at the end of February, I think it is. I, I just saw that story on Washington Examiner. 
So for there to have been no election fraud, I would I would have to dispute that simply because the Supreme Court is going to hear three cases. And out of 81 of the cases, 30 of them are still active. So this is still an ongoing discussion. And Americans are looking at whether or not they want to have their individual states have all mail-in voting or mail-in drop boxes, et cetera. So it's a conversation, but it's all connected. And we can't separate the violence at the Capitol on the 6th from what happened last year because all of it, it's a culmination of what happened. It's it's people's emotions running high for a sustained period of time and not being heard and not having their concerns addressed that brought us to the place on the 6th. And our national security apparatus and analysts have to consider those factors as well. If we wall it off and just see the 6th as an individual day that uh, is an anomaly that was brought about by people who came into that space with intentions without considering what drove that, then we will have a, a complete acceptance of the double standard that has been set up in 2020, which is Republican concerns are conspiracy theories. When Democrats bring concerns, they're valid and the FBI has to address them. Instead of saying all crime is wrong, because that's what I believe, Nicholas, Professor Grossman, all crime is wrong, breaching the Capitol, uh, illegal access to you know buildings that you don't belong in, so you know uh, trespassing, burning things down, looting, uh, violent actions towards law enforcement. I believe all of those things are wrong, and I believe that they should be prosecuted, whether you're an Antifa member or a Black Lives Matter member or a militia member or someone who you know is a, a Trumper with a you know red hat on and all of that. I don't care what you're wearing or what organization you're with. I believe all of those wrongdoings should be prosecuted. But if we have any discrepancy in that area, it leads to, in my opinion – not an analyst, don't play one on TV. Um, it leads to what we saw in the sixth, and it leads to radicalization. And that's what I think we can all agree we don't want that. We don't want Americans being radicalized, and we don't want to give up our peaceful transfer of power, et cetera. And I agree fully on the um, any, all crime is, you know, crime is wrong. I mean, things, uh, violence, for example, uh, attacking a cop is wrong, whether, you know, whatever location it is uh, in it. And that people should also be prosecuted for that. I, I agree um, completely on that one. The, at the federal level, what's um, interesting of how much of the prosecution is being driven not by Democrats, so the impeachment of uh, former President Trump is um, being driven by Democrats, but a lot of the arrests and the larger charges for things like conspiracy against the United States, for example, um, are being driven more by the federal law enforcement national security apparatus, where we built this really large machine after 9-11. It was already quite large, but this really big, uh, you know, post-September 11th machine um, with, uh, you know, in the creation of Department of Homeland Security, for example, um, and expanded capacity for all these different agencies. Um, and that is happening almost at a, an automatic level that they're um, to a degree, doing it on their own, that with um, the federal crimes, you have the law enforcement doing it without having been directed to do it by politicians. Well, I, I actually appreciate that. And also on would... the Capitol. Um, I, just, I just want to also strongly agree on the, the fencing around the Capitol. Um, that, uh, that, that makes me sad. And I also don't think it's necessary where I used to live in D.C. and 
Um, I loved that area. You know, it's such a beautiful building, and um, the whole mall is pretty. I used to play softball down there, and it makes me feel, you know, patriotic, and I, I kind of geek out about it. You know, still politics nerd, and, um, uh, you know, love that part of it. And the idea that it would be closed off, or just recently, like when there was snow, there would usually be kids snowing down there. Um, mm-hmm. If they keep it that way, that would be quite sad. And it's also unnecessary because the failure to protect the capital was one of intelligence and policing. It wasn't having sufficient, uh, you know, say, fencing around there, that um, there are all sorts of procedures where they could have first could have partially seen it coming. And there were some FBI agents who tried to send intelligence up the chain and it didn't really get read. Um, and that is a intelligence failure, not as big as, but a similar type as what led up to September 11th, that there were information there, just didn't make it through the right channels in time. Um, and then also policing, that if they had added more numbers, if it was things like the, uh, I remember seeing the way that the Lincoln Memorial and other monuments were protected uh, during some uh, Black Lives Matter and other protests over the summer. And there you had a lot of reinforcements called up and ready for it. And the fact that they weren't here um, is a pretty serious policing and intelligence failure. So if they corrected those, then they wouldn't need to wall off the whole thing and put the uh, sharp wire around it and the rest of it. And I really hope that that gets taken down soon. That one of the things that I'm wary, as much as I do want to see uh, the people who were involved, especially at the higher levels with, say, planning and committing violence, um, see them prosecuted, I also would very much oppose seeing something that uh, either creates some sort of new domestic terrorism law, I would be very afraid of that turning into a uh, like politicized witch hunt where, um, you know, say people who, like, for example, where you mentioned that people who say that they have, you know, certain beliefs um, everybody's entitled to their beliefs that, um, you know, even whether it's true or not, that they are entitled to it. Um, whereas what, of course, you're not entitled to do is to attack somebody to use violence, to burn down a building um, and, you know, so on. Then that would be where we would have to draw a, a pretty hard line. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. And I think, you know, the the automatic nature of the prosecutions coming from the federal government, that's actually comforting in a way because it means that when wrongdoing is discovered, that the government agencies that are tasked with policing that, they go into investigatory mode and they begin to seek out the people who did it and to prosecute them. And they're using the same standard with everyone. It's, you know, do do we have enough evidence uh, after investigation to uh, investigate further, to arrest, to charge? That's that's all. I don't think anyone's opposed to that. I have not met one person or spoken to anyone on either side who has said, oh, they shouldn't be prosecuted. Everyone wants those who did wrong things at the Capitol to be prosecuted. But I don't see any of the same investigatory furor or or intention around what happened last year and the damage that was done, which means we have a new normal in America. And the new normal is if something happens on the national stage that people feel is an injustice, America's cities are free to be burned down, businesses are free to be burned down, and there will be no repercussions for that. And that to me... Uh, is just as big of a travesty as what's happening with that horrible black fencing around the Capitol and the concertina wire. Uh, And it is something that will persist and will degrade our law and order culture here in this country, Uh, creates an obvious double standard um, that cannot go on, and it will radicalize others in, in our space, in our country. 
uh, who will see that double standard and feel as if they have to take matters into their own hands. And that is the opposite of what I want as a veteran, as a mom, as a wife, as someone who you know talks about this every night. I don't want Americans to feel as if justice is out of their reach and they have to take matters into their own hands, whether they're Democrats or Republicans or politically agnostic. That should never be the situation in this country. Um, so I'm, I, I join you, uh, Professor Grossman, in hoping for a very quick and speedy adjudication to this impeachment trial in the Senate so that we can move on. Um, and I also hope that we will see those in our intelligence apparatus and those around the country who have anything to do with law enforcement really apply themselves to ensuring that our cities never have a year like last year um, where businesses were just uh, tossed on on the flames and allowed to go up uh, people's life savings decades of work family generational businesses just destroyed um, without so much as a peep from the media or anyone else as to how difficult it is to work and to create that scenario and this is a unique place in America where you could be born into poverty and be homeless and literally graduate from high school in your car and start a business and, you know, attain the tip top of wealth or become very solidly middle class. Um, we don't have any any strictures in our country that prevent that. And um, we're just going to see a lot of ramifications from the violence from last year in the cities, areas that will never recover. Um, and just the, the suicide and all of the different societal ills that we're seeing it's just kind of an, an, a silent scream that's going on in America right now. And, and I feel like it's my job to continue to highlight it so that these people are not ignored or forgotten that what they went through doesn't just get swept under the rug because of what happened at the Capitol on the 6th. Um, and so I hope that that came across in our chat today. And I, I'm just so glad you could join us to provide the constitutional perspective, especially the details about whether or not, you know, it, it's not even about due process because this is a political act, the impeachment and the trial. So the same rules don't apply. That's something that people need to know. Um, and I really appreciate your time and all the information you shared today. Thanks. It was great talking with you. So we have been chatting with international relations professor at U- University of Illinois, Professor Nicholas Grossman. He's a senior editor at ARC Digital, and we have had such a great conversation. I encourage you to share the show. And if you're interested in saving money on your health insurance costs, um, check out StacyOnTheRight.com. The banner ad is right there for Shared Health Alliance. And thank you for being with us today. 